Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. We have reached the end of Sunday week four. Uh, nearly four weeks are in the book at this moment, which means we have 240 minutes of NFL footage on the majority of teams around the leagues. Obviously, we've had some COVID cancellations, two Monday night games uh, to go through and the Steelers and Titans postponements. So not applicable to everyone, I get it, but we do have a bunch of film on everybody. I am here tonight, your host, Ian Harditz, as always, after these Sunday games to break down everything I just went down. Uh, fancy notes, snap counts, you know, main takeaways, who got injured, who we got to be looking out for, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, this is the first episode of the week. It's coming out on this Monday morning. Make sure you tune in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, Monday podcast, I wrap up. The, I'm sorry, Tuesday podcast, I wrap up the Monday night games and go over, you know, some key injury notes because we still don't know too much right now. Uh, Wednesday, I, I go over a game by game preview for next week. And uh, Thursday, I bring on a guest and we go do some start sick questions. And then finally on uh, Friday, it's wrapping up. Thursday night and then looking at some injuries ahead of the weekend. So without further ado, let's get after these games. So first up, most entertaining game of the slate, probably Browns beat the Cowboys 49 to 38. And, you know, absolutely wild game from the perspective that the Browns put up 49 freaking points with Baker Mayfield only having 165 passing yards. And hey, they didn't need him to pass the ball because no matter who was running the ball for the Cleveland Browns, they were having all sorts of success. So Nick Chubb suffered an ankle or knee injury early on. He only had six carries before he went out of the game. You know, only played 13 total snaps. So after that, it was the Kareem Hunt show to an extent. Now, don't forget, Kareem Hunt was banged up this whole week with a groin injury. So when you see these box scores tomorrow and you look and you see Dearness Johnson, AAF Hall of Famer Dearness Johnson at 13 carries for 95 yards, don't get too excited because, again, Kareem Hunt had this groin injury. And I think, you know, once he gets healthier in future weeks, it's going to be much more of a one-man show. So, you know, in addition to uh, Dearness Johnson, Dontrell Hurd was out there playing. Kareem Hunt still led the way in snaps and, you know, had 11 carries, was able to find the end zone twice on his own. It wasn't like that he was a liability out there by any stretch. And the Browns were surprisingly playing with such a big lead throughout this game. There really wasn't much of a need to uh, uh, overstress Hunt. So uh, just wouldn't go out there, you know, break, uh, breaking down the fab for Johnson or Hilliard or anything. This should be Kareem Hunt's backfield as long as Chubb is missing time. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, for, for these Browns receivers, you know, amazing game by OBJ, caught five of eight targets for 81 yards, a pair of scores, one of which came from Jarvis Landry. Uh, unfortunately, my helicopter pick cr- went crashing down with Jarvis. He did throw for a touchdown, 37-yard dart. Always, uh, you know, forget he's a lefty out there, but good arm. And yeah, you know, thought, uh, you know, targeting the undervalued number two receiver in this, you know, potential really high scoring game uh, would, would go, you know, potential good direction with him being lower owned. But uh, kudos to, to the Browns for just being able to run all over this Cowboys defense. And that really is, I think, the biggest takeaway from this game is just the Cowboys operate at such a fast pace. Their offense, their passing offense can come back and some, from any deficit to an extent. And their defense just cannot stop anyone seemingly in the pass or the ground. We're going to continue to see fantasy-friendly shootouts again and again and again. Dak is on pace for 6,760 passing yards, everyone. Absolutely ridiculous. And look, I mean, he had about three picks drop before the end. I mean, this was a game where he didn't play quite as great as the scoreboard looks. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know how many quarterbacks are going to be able to win when your defense is giving up 49 points. Uh, Shout-out Ezekiel Elliott getting uh, the Cowboys' first run of over 15 yards this year. They were the last remaining team that failed to do that. And uh, also shout-out to Amari Cooper for going uh, 12 catches, 134 yards. And a score. CeeDee Lamb also had two touchdowns. Uh, Dalton Schultz found one. Michael Gallup a little bit quiet, but that's just going to be life uh, in this crowded Cowboys offense sometimes. 
Now, I have a uh, stat. Now, I did this last week and didn't have a good name for the stat. Some of you gave me crap on Twitter. I appreciate that. And I let you down. But I have a name for my favorite matchup stat of the week. Now, this is not, you know, anything that's necessarily super uh, fancy focused moving forward. Not something you need to, you know, really hang your hat on. It's predictive. But just something really cool that I like. And I'm naming it the PFF Lily matchup stat. And if you didn't know, I have a wiener dog named Lily. She's great. I enjoy the, I enjoy the PFF name shtick. Do they make you lose the PFF part of your name if you get fired? I don't know. Hopefully, you don't have to find out. Anyway, PFF Lily matchup stat of the week. OBJ is only on pace despite this amazing start. And again, you mentioned his receiving line. He also had a back-breaking 50-yard touchdown to, on, on a rush to win the game. But he's only on pace receiving-wise for 64 catches, 944 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Amari Cooper is on pace for 148 receptions, 1,603 yards, and a Julio Jones-esque four touchdowns I mean look OBJ looked fantastic out there when he's just healthy he's capable of turning you know any amount of you know small workload into a big one but the 2.02 yards per out run that's the second lowest mark of his career only behind what he had in Cleveland last year all I'm saying is this is still a run first offense as we saw in this game and apparently the Browns will be able to run first on a lot more teams than we kind of thought so you know if you're able to get someone to break the bank that's now treating OBJ as you know this locked in top three top five wide receiver I wouldn't hate selling high I mean look career high 16 yard 8 out right now career worst 47.1 uh, catch rate for OBJ he's really in that field stretcher role this is the boom and we know OBJ when he has you know any sort of role he can provide these sort of weak winning outcomes so again don't sell him for scraps by any stretch the imagination but just realize someone like cooper someone like uh uh, you know, even freaking Keenan Allen out there, you know, if you're able to package a deal where you're able to get, you know, someone that's just going to more times than not be seeing uh, potentially double the amount of targets OBJ is going to get in the game, wouldn't hate doing that deal if, you know, again, someone's going to buy Beckham at the top of his value. Uh, moving on, we had the Bengals defeat the Jaguars 33-225, Mr. Joe Burrow getting his first professional win, and he played really great out there. I mean, 300 yards passing, 25 for 36, could have been a lot bigger game. I mean, he threw an interception to this tight end drew sample but i mean this ball probably should have been caught mouth jack ended up just kind of yanking it out of his uh grasp and you know pff only charged uh, t higgins with one drop but just watching the game there were a couple more uh, of his incompletions that i thought he at least had a chance to come down with so maybe not an outrageous drop but anyway burrow wasn't getting the help you know only sacked once and that was good to see and that's why uh you know we were so high on him this week against the jaguars defense that had the fewest pressures uh, in the league going in but ultimately it was the joe mixon story 151 rushing yards two scores six receptions for 30 yards and another score. Those six receptions are his second highest mark of his career. Most since 2018, Giovanni Bernard only played 13 snaps, second fewest in a game over the last two years uh, for Giovanni Bernard. So, this was a situation where the Bengals, you know, had a big lead. Uh, you know, Jaguars scored 12 points in the fourth quarter to kind of make it seem closer, but they were really in control most of this game. Gio's going to still be involved moving forward, but hopefully this was a sign that, you know, we, they are they are going to use Mixon more in the past game. He's certainly good enough to deserve that sort of usage. And honestly, just a good, you know, good enough player. And they're paying him. Got to get this guy the ball more and more often. So hopefully, you know, I've advised you guys in this podcast, please stand tight with Mixon going in this week. He was on pace with 315 touches. The touchdowns are going to come. They did did come this week. I'll continue to treat him as, you know, this top 12, top 10 RB. It's unfortunate we can't lock him in as a top three, top five guy because I think Gio's going to have bigger weeks. But again, when things go right with Mixon, with Derrick Henry, with these other, you know, quote unquote, game script dependent backs, this is the type of performance that we can see. Uh, on the Jaguars side of the ball, credit to DJ Chark coming back, catching eight of nine targets from 95 yards. Paris scores also saw LaVisca Chenault, uh, 86 yards on just six targets. He was had some tackle breaking goodness out there. But, you know, big story here. Other than 
think Gardner Minshew bouncing back a little bit with 351 yards. It's just James RB1 season again, everyone. I mean, 17 carries, 75 yards. Chris Thompson shaved off 25% of the snaps, but he didn't even have a touch. So it truly is the James Robinson backfield. Only thing I would just say is, you know, Again, con- continue to think with James Robinson. And this is what I was talking about with OBJ. Like right now, he's performing at like the highest range of his outcomes. And James Robinson going this game was the PPR RB5 on the season. I mean, it's absurd. And only uh, this week, only Dalvin Cook broke more tackles on the ground. James Robinson is a good player playing well. Just realize this Jaguars team oh, sure looks like a team that's going to finish at 4 and 12, 5 and 11. You know, I, I don't really think Robinson is going to finish this year as a top 5 RB going out on a limb there. Top 12, top 15, maybe. But again, this is the peak of James Robinson's powers. You got him off the waiver wire or you got him, you know, at a very uh, late round spot. So don't give him up for anything. But like OBJ, if someone is willing to to treat James Robinson as the top five RB he's been to this point. Uh, wouldn't hate selling on him just for someone that isn't going to be yanked off the field uh, in these more, you know, uh, adverse situations. So not a bad guy to have in your roster. I'm not saying sell James Robinson, but if you can find someone out there that, you know, is going to buy him at the top, might not be a bad idea. But uh, quickly on Joe Mixon with the PFF Lily stat in the matchup, the only guys with more yards after contact this season than Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs. That's it. Uh, it's been a hard sledding for Mixon this whole year, but, you know, he's getting the volume, continues to get uh, good production. He's working hard to get so. So kudos to Joe Mixon. Finally got the big game. All right, next up, we got the Vikings 31, Texans 23. This game came down to the wire. You know, it was not a pretty performance from Texans at first. Uh, funny storyline going in was Bill O'Brien saying he's taking over the play calling duties again. So it kind of left them out to dry there with that uh, uh, Ravens, uh, Chiefs, Steelers front stretch and comes back in against the banged up Vikings defense. But was not a good start at all. I mean, only six points at halftime. They're only averaging four yards per play uh, after 30 minutes and. It really took Deshaun Watson to start, you know, getting out of the pocket, making things happen, uh, just making big plays and big moments for them to even get back in this game. Uh, one of his touchdowns went to Kenny Stills on a fourth and 10, the other one to Will Fuller on a little bit of a broken play. But, you know, credit to Will Fuller for, uh, you know, coming back and having this big game. S- caught six or seven targets, 108 yards and a touchdown. Um, shout out Jetpack Gallio on Twitter. Hopefully I didn't mess that up. But this guy, uh, you know, he's into astronomy. He's figured out apparently whenever the uh, moon is at least near a f- full moon, or, you know, like a waning gibbous, whatever the big one is. Excuse my lack of astrology knowledge here. But hilariously, Will Fuller weeks are 4-0 this year. Uh, you know, if it's a full moon or a lot of moon, he goes off. If it's not, you know, he doesn't. So that's, you know, the kind of game-changing analysis you're looking for here uh, from PFF. But just a funny uh, storyline to uh, stay with this year. You know, Fuller had that goose egg in week two against the Ravens. But other than that, he's, he's had over 100 yards or scored or both every week this year. Guy's doing great. He's going to truly be on that bull- borderline wide receiver one range anytime he's healthy enough to go is his you know range of outcomes a little bit wider than your typical borderline wide receiver one yes but it goes in both directions and we haven't seen that just complete blow up yet i still think better days are here to come from this texans offense uh one concern with the backfield a little bit I'm not backing down from saying David Johnson is a good buy low candidate uh, by any stretch, but it wasn't the best usage uh, with the first week back from uh, Mr. Duke Johnson, who, you know, I'm a huge fan of. Truly think Duke is a three down back. I'm not going to let Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien's usage of him change my mind about that. But uh, today, David Johnson, 55% snaps, 16 carries, three targets. And Duke was pretty involved with 39% snaps, five carries and four targets. So again, I mean, David, 19 opportunities. He's the clear lead back, but he is like the 
the Carlos Hyde last year with a little more receiving work. And that's not bad. That's still, you know, an R- weekly RB2 uh, type stick. But, you know, the 90% snaps we were seeing for the last few weeks, uh, you know, don't appear to be there as long as Duke is healthy. So, uh, David, you know, still a good by low candidate, I think. Again, this upcoming schedule is fine. He got stopped just short of the goal line uh, towards the end of the game. Uh, Could have been much bigger. And that's the thing with Fuller. I didn't even mention this. I mean, his best catch was not a catch. They ruled it barely, you know, hit the ground because Watson took him down there. And on fourth and goal, Fuller went up. Seemed like he got it. I almost still think he caught it, but they ruled it in completion and that ended the game. So, again, you know, it wasn't the exact, you know, bounce back performance from this Texans offense, but as we saw, you know, Watson on a bad day goes with 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, keep going back to the well with his offense, particularly the passing game. On the uh, Viking side of the ball, so Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, went out there, only had to throw 22 times, but converted it into two, 260 passing yards, and we're seeing this more and more with them. The offense goes through Dalvin Cook. Why wouldn't it? 27 carries, 130 yards, and two scores, and looking, you know, the whole way like one of the best running backs in football, as he has for most of his career. I mean, his long run was only 15, so this dude was just consistently racking up missed tackles and doing his thing. Nobody broke more tackles on the ground than Dalvin uh, this Sunday, continuing to ball out anyone's idea of a top five RB moving forward. But the big guy that's coming on now strong is Justin Jefferson. And, you know, in this game, Adam Thielen had 10 targets, caught eight of them for 114 yards in the score. That's great. We know Thielen's the wide receiver one, but Jefferson, another 100 yards, uh, 103, caught four or five targets now, and he is just balling out over these last two weeks. And look, it's a condensed target share in Minnesota, just like in Seattle. You know, I know this year they're more pass happy, but last year, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf uh, made the most of their limited opportunities because of how fantasy friendly they were, because they were downfield, because they were in a high scoring offense. And the Vikings is a little bit more of a poor man's version of that. I understand, you know, a Kirk Cousins deep ball isn't worth quite the same as a Russell. Wilson deep ball, but just realize that not every target is created equal. And this takes us into our PFF Lily matchup stat. Kirk Cousins through four weeks is tied for first in the league with 25 deep ball attempts. The ball stone at least 20 yards downfield, not deep ball rate. Deep ball attempts. So even though this guy in games where the Vikings are scoring 30 points or they're down multiple scores and they still won't put their foot on the gas in the passing game, Kirk is still throwing downfield enough uh, to have that mark. You know, just so you know, like he's tied with Dak Prescott right now at 25 and Aaron Rodgers is at 24. So he's probably going to pass on Monday night. But uh, Kirk Cousins certainly throwing downfield far more often than we would have expected. Next up, Ravens defeated the Washington football team 31-217. Nice little bounce-back performance from Lamar Jackson and company. Not that we expected him not to, and we talked about this on the pod, but could have been much better performance against the Chiefs had he hit Hollywood Brown on one of those two deep balls or Mark Andrews ran in that touchdown. But vintage 50-yard touchdown run by Lamar, you know, cutting through. I think it's an inverted beer. I don't want to, you know, overstep my football knowledge here. But, you know, that same play, he just had like the memorable touchdown against the uh, Bengals last year, I was believe, and then against, uh, you know, Florida State back in college. So just fantastic. I love the way he spins into the end zone after, you know, shaking off a couple defenders. Uh, Also had uh, two scores through the air look good could have had a third deep one the hollywood brown i mean it sucks i'll probably put together a video here soon of the you know various deep ball misses that hollywood's had this year because he gets open a lot and you know lamar unfortunately hasn't been able to hit him as often as we would have liked to see uh mark andrews caught all three of his targets for 57 yards and a pair of scores hollywood still had a good enough day despite the misses uh four catches for 86 yards no one else over 30 
this is the good thing about the stack. And eventually Hollywood Brown's going to come through, but you know, Lamar Jackson, you look at these, when you're trying to play him in DFS, he is so much more expensive than the other quarterbacks are usually. And the, but the good thing is we see Andrews at tight end, you know, usually their price ceiling is lower than wide receiver. And then Hollywood isn't all that expensive right now. So yes, Lamar is more expensive than the quarterbacks, but you can get fancy friendly stacks in this passing game with Lamar, Hollywood and Andrews. And I think when you take the whole of that cost, it's a little bit less than some other guys. So something to pay attention to moving forward. This backfield remains a mess, everyone, and it sucks. Uh, Mark Ingram played 25% snaps, Gus Edwards 39%, and Dobbins 34%. No one had even 10 touches on this game. You know, credit to Mark for getting the short goal line touchdown, and, you know, credit to Dobbins for making some plays, but Edwards is still doing his thing, too. I mean, it's a good real-life problem to have. It's annoying as hell for fantasy owners, and, you know, even if one guy gets hurt, it's still going to be a split backfield to some extent. At least in that situation, we could, you know, expect uh, 12-plus touches per game, but with Lamar siphoning off so much rushing work of his own just a tough situation to have I mean, i'm still holding out plenty of hope for dobbins in 2021 at a minimum you know in dynasty season once uh, ingram is probably out of the picture but you know even then a lot of uncertainty in this uh, crowded but incredibly effective backfield Look at the Washington football team. So, you know, Terry McLaurin did his thing, caught 10 of 14 targets for 118 yards. So much of it is yak this year that, you know, we're going to see him continue to be able to overcome uh, these tough matchups, even with volume. And, you know, how about volume? Dwayne Haskins completed 32 of 45 pass attempts for 314 yards, no scores, no picks. Uh, you know, just most hilariously, you know, sucky thing to come out of this, though. 45 pass attempts and Logan Thomas, only four targets, one catch for eight yards. You know, he keeps ranking at the top of these tight end targets, but man, at some point, and that point is probably right now, we need to see a little bit more from Logan Thomas than just, uh, you know, uncatchable or just, you know, unfancy friendly targets because his touchdown in week one came on, you know, a big time busted coverage, wasn't exactly a great play by any stretch. Uh, and, you know, ever since then, it's been rough sledding. So, uh, you know, it's looking like maybe McLaurin and Logan Thomas could be relevant in this offense. Right now, I'm thinking it's just McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. Uh, we jumped the gun a little bit on Antonio Gibson breakout season uh, in week three. You know, he had this 60% plus snap rate in week two. Seemed like things were going up. But J.D. McKissick remained involved, and we saw that still in this game, and McKissick actually led the way in snaps with 54%, uh, siphoned off two carries and eight targets, but Gibson 44%, 13 carries, five targets, uh, you know, got the goal line touches, Barber, they gave him one, he couldn't get in, they gave it to Gibson, he got in, so uh, that's really good moving forward, and just sooner rather than later, we're going to see McKissick get out of here. We finally saw Gibson uh, show what he could do as a receiver, he caught four or five targets for 82 yards including a, a long of 40 on a screen where he was just showing both burst and tackle breaking ability. I mean, McKissick, you know, caught seven of eight targets for 40 yards. So uh, twice as many opportunities almost and half the production. So I uh, just think it's a situation where right now Gibson has way more early down work than we expected. And McKissick is being outplayed by him. So truly have a CMC esque role as a possibility in this offense. Uh, you know, head coach used to be CMC's guy has compared Gibson to CMC. It's a matter of when, not if Gibson takes over the, backfield you know if you can still get him on the on the buy low do so and I think we're at the point where you know especially with bye weeks coming up Gibson should be in your starting lineup more weeks than not moving forward our PFF Lily stat of the matchup is that Hollywood Brown league high 12 targets thrown at least 20 yards downfield and he's caught four of the five catchable ones so one drop on him this year but you know seven of those 12 targets just have not been deemed catchable by PFF you know again Lamar hardly a, a liability as a passer I mean anyone who wants to make the RB jokes and not be joking Joking, please stop because you're not making yourself sound smart. But, uh, you know, so far they have not quite had that, you know, pristine downfield connection. I do think we'll see better days ahead for it. 
Moving on, Saints defeated the Lions 35-29. Drew Brees, Drew Brees getting loosey-goosey out there. Actually uh, had four passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield in week four alone. In weeks one through three, he only had three such pass attempts. So, uh, you know, kind of explains why when you look at the receiving workload and you see Alvin Kamara only had three catches for 36 yards. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, Traquan Smith. Uh, Sanders went for 93 yards. Smith had 54 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Brees got his wide receivers involved. You love to see it. Uh, Michael Thomas seems to be coming back soon, so I don't think we're going to get too much consistency from Sanders and Smith. Obviously, Kamara is going to have more than four targets uh, most weeks, but it was just good to see that the Saints offense is still capable of doing this. I know it's against the Lions. Uh, I'm not crowning the Saints, you know, as the elite of the elite offenses yet, but we've seen this for a few years now where when the uh, Saints have played the Vikings in the playoffs, they've really, you know, prevented them, uh, their ability to throw deep. It was just more concerning when this type of stuff was happening against the Raiders of all teams, you know, in week two. So, it, uh, you know, it does seem like, you know, kind of iffy start in the season, but we probably should be expecting the Saints to be operating as a top 10 uh, offense once again. Uh, yeah, and then so looking at, uh, you know, I mentioned this in my uh, RB article this week. You can check it out every Wednesday. I, I take stock. It's called taking stock of all 32 NFL backfields. I go through the, the previous week's usage, you know, kind of knife through if someone's injured and what we should look at with backup running backs and all that type of stuff. But anyway, mentioned that Latavius Murray, you know, had potential in the spot for standalone value. And it's starting to look like maybe even more than just this spot, maybe just in general. Like last year, he only had 10 plus touches in four games with a healthy Kamara. This year, he's already gotten in three or four games with a healthy Kamara. So, you know, I think some of it's Michael Thomas being out. Some of it's them having positive game script except for uh that week two matchup where the Raiders got up on him but you know Latavius he's doing a good job they're giving him uh you know pretty much all the rushing workload he can handle 14 carries 64 yards and two scores uh, against the Lions he's doing a good job with it so you know Latavius especially in these cozy matchups where we have the Saints versus a bad run defense, you know, favored and, you know, projected positive game script. That's where we can get behind him as a legit flex option. So love to see that. Kamara is still your, you know, overall RB1. I'm not saying Latavius is eating into that, but, you know, it's not that long ago. We only have to go back a few years where we saw uh, Kamara and Mark Ingram returning uh, fancy RB1 value. Not saying uh, Latavius is going to do that, but, you know, wouldn't be shocking to see him, uh, you know, I don't know, show up in that kind of high-end RB3 range, even if Kamara doesn't get hurt this year. On the line side of the ball, uh, Stafford was throwing downfield more often. And we've talked about this on the podcast throughout the year. Where first two weeks with Kenny Galladay out, didn't have the same, you know, fancy friendly high average target depth we saw in 2019. That did change this week. You know, he got it up to 11.8 and he's been kind of down in the nine range uh, before. So that was good. But, you know, still 11 carries for Adrian Peterson in a game where they were behind, uh, you know, pretty much in the second quarter on after getting a brief lead. Uh, it was good to see DeAndre Swift back involved. But this backfield is still a mess. So, you know, Stafford, it's good he's selling down field more. I think Kenny Galladay, who had a touchdown, 62 yards and eight targets, he's fine. But after that right now, it's just, you're going to be taking a little bit of a leap of faith with anyone because it's just pretty crowded and everything's a mess, particularly this backfield. Adrian Peterson, 43% snaps. DeAndre Swift, 38%. And then Jamal Agnew and Carrion Johnson each had 20% as well. And, you know, Swift, it was good to see him get the four targets. He caught one for a touchdown. He's, you know, gotten open as a receiver. He's had his drop problems this year, notably in week one uh, with that potential game winner, seven through his hands but you know it does seem like a lot better days ahead his usage where he only played a couple snaps in week three was super puzzling luckily they seem to be over that you know if he is someone on your waiver wire uh, might not be a bad idea because at some point I think this Adrian Peterson experiment has to end you know as quickly as he has risen off the top of this depth chart I don't think it'd be too shocking if he uh, just kind of gets overtaken by Swift at some point but you know I know the bench uh, bench spots are scarce these days so if you just want to uh, not touch the situation at all can't blame me there 
Uh, PFF Lily stat in the matchup. Breeze is so his deep ball rate through four weeks has, you know, the percentage of passes thrown 20 yards downfield, uh, uh, per deep ball. I'm sorry, just per, uh, overall, uh, attempt is 5.2% this year. And this is really low. I mean, he was at 8.2% in 2019, 11.2% in 2018, 11.4% in 2017, 9.8% in 2016. Just realize that he has never been this guy that's consistently been thrown downfield. I mean, all those marks I just said, yes, they're higher than 5.2%, but these were still, you know, far down the list. In the terms of the bottom half of the league, uh, so Breeze, you know, Saints have never usually had to uh, throw deep. It's been a little bit more of an issue this year because teams haven't even respected the threat as much. But uh, you know, again, if if Breeze can keep doing what he did this game, where he just throws deep a little bit more often, keeps him on their toes, and does so accurately, I think we're going to see the Saints' offense get back to looking like the juggernaut they've been for the better part of the last decade and a half. Up next, we got the Panthers defeating the Cardinals 31-21. Mike Davis just keeps breaking tackles, everyone. How much longer until Mike Davis holds out for a new contract and pulls a Christian McCaffrey, you know? But uh, no, nah, I, I don't think that'll be happening anytime soon. But never know, 2020, stranger things. Uh, Mike Davis, 72% snaps, 16 rush attempts, six more targets. Reggie Bonifon, 26% snaps, 10 carries, two targets. A lot of that was in garbage time. Wasn't expecting garbage time on the Carolina side of the ball, but that was kind of what... We end up seeing in this game, they got up credit to Teddy Bridgewater, you know, 276 yards, pair of touchdowns on 37 attempts, efficient throughout the game, and also looking elusive out there. I mean, he had a touchdown run uh, where he was just, you know, it's going to be fun to watch in all 22, going back and forth, making several defenders miss. Haven't seen that out of Teddy in a while, so uh, good on Teddy, and yeah, Mike Davis just breaking all sorts of tackles, so I don't want to give away the PFF Lily stat, but got something coming up there. With the wide receivers, Robbie Anderson, another big game, caught 8 of 11 targets for 99 yards. I know a lot of people were hoping this was going to be the week for the DJ more bounce back. You know, he caught four of six targets for 49 yards. There's going to be bigger games ahead. I mean, look, through four weeks, Robbie Anderson has 34 targets. DJ Moore has 32. So, yes, this is clearly more of a 1A, 1B situation in some order than we thought coming in. But this is still clearly a top two. I mean, the big problem with DJ Moore previously it was the presence of McCaffrey and that he was kind of the wide receiver two. I'm sorry, the number two pass game option in his own offense at times because McCaffrey was getting so fed. Well, McCaffrey's out of the picture. I mean, it's Robbie, DJ Moore, and you got Mike Davis down there at 23 targets. And even if you want to add McCaffrey so that he's still underneath uh, DJ and then Curtis Samuels at 17. So yes, DJ is, you know, not the outright number one receiver we were hoping for, but he's still pretty much in the same spot that he was going to be if, uh, you know, we had the same McCaffrey uses from last year so this is an offense that I think the passing game is looking better than we should have thought it would have entering this season you know with the least amount of continuity in the entire league better days ahead for the passing game and their top two targets which are Robbie and DJ Moore are going to benefit because of that so yeah I'm going back to the well by low DJ Moore um, quickly on the other side of the ball Kyler Murray not great 133 yards uh, through the air on 31 attempts no interceptions. He only took one sack, but I mean, that, that's just pretty brutal. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, come on, guys. He can run the ball, six carries, 78 yards, but just real lack of ability to push this ball downfield. Dan Arnold, their tight end, had a 25-yard catch. Other than that, nobody had a gain over 13 yards. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, they were going up to be game-time decisions. You know, I, Hopkins still showed off some nice moves on the act. I mean, he didn't look like he was playing too badly hurt. Caught seven to nine targets for 41 yards, but just a... 
situation that I think we saw from this offense a lot in 2019 where when they can't push the ball downfield a lot, you see things uh, get a little bit cramped, whole lot of screens, whole lot of, you know, horizontal movement, not as much uh, d- downfield. So I think uh, the, the running joke last season was that, you know, it's not the air race, it's the horizontal raid. And that's a little bit what, what it looked like today. And, you know, when the running game isn't operating like we would like it to, and it wasn't today, I mean, Kenyon Drake, 13 carries, 35 yards, Chase Edmonds, four carries, 16 yards. When the run game isn't, you know, operating as a top three unit like we saw for last year, I just makes things that much harder in the passing game so you know Kyler he's doing just fine fancy with this rushing floor it's ridiculous but you know, it, it, look, his average target depth is not awful. 23rd among 37 qualified QBs. Just a situation where if Hopkins is going to be banged up and no one else is going to be able to emerge as that truly reliable number two guy. I mean, you know, we were talking about Larry Fitzgerald all week being the one that, uh, you know, uh, Kingsbury wants to get more targets for. Fitzgerald caught two or three targets for four yards. Everything is so close to the line of scrimmage right now. Uh, I'm just hesitant, trusting really anyone outside of Hopkins in this passing game. Again, Kyler as a fantasy quarterback, he's fine despite his performance. Three, the three passing touchdowns on the rushing floor, not a problem at all. It's just elsewhere. That's the problem. And Kenyon Drake, uh, yeah, it's it's not good, guys. Um, you know, thinking that this would be the spot he'd break out in made a lot of sense because everyone runs all over the Panthers. But unfortunately, you know, 65% snaps, 13 rushes, zero targets, all for a whopping 35 scoreless yards. Uh, we'll need to mo- monitor this going to Monday, too, because I'm pretty sure. I, mean, he didn't, I don't know if he got concussed, but he got banged up pretty hard. And we didn't see him the rest of the game late in the fourth quarter so really keep an eye on that either way I mean we could be looking at the point where Chase Edmonds starts to get a little more opportunity it's been about 70-30 split all season that's what it was this game too again until Drake got hurt but Credit to Edmonds, six targets, five catches, 24 yards in a score. They have been seemingly more willing to throw him the ball this year, and he's looked good with it. So, uh, you know, I haven't noticed a huge difference between the guys as rushers this year, but Drake is not performing, uh, you know, at his highest capabilities. I do wonder sometimes, do we have to start, you know, wondering if there's a, a curse of these players that kind of call out their own uh, fantasy production? Because I know Austin Eckler was all about it uh, this offseason. Unfortunately, he had to get hurt. And I know Kenyon Drake uh, had the funny Twitter post telling everyone to draft him as well. So just... Just another, you know, one of those like Will Fuller Moon trends to keep an eye on there. So, uh, onto our PFF Lily stat of the matchup. I uh, just want to go over the most broken tackles over the last three weeks because it's Joe Mixon in first with 18, Austin Eckler and Dalvin Cook, Devin Singletary uh, tied for second with 17. And then closing it out, we got Alvin Kamara at 16 and Mike Davis at 16. I mean, truly, it's not empty volume. This guy is breaking so many tackles play after play. He looks really good out there. And, you know, again, Reggie Bonifant, most of his production was in pure mop up time Mike Davis is playing great and he is and now truly in that RB1 conversation for as long as McCaffrey remains sidelined next game up here we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeating the Los Angeles Chargers 38 231 uh pretty exciting game it looked pretty bad for the Buccaneers at first Brady threw a pick six uh, early on, Mike Evans uh, got kind of bent back. It looked like it was potentially a nasty injury. Luckily, he returned and was just fine. Uh, but, you know, without Goblin for a second, you know, I was kind of getting almost 2019 Patriots vibes from this offense with Brady, you know, not really having any open receivers. But Evans got back out there. Brady started making some terrific throws, and things were just fine. All in all, Brady, 369 yards, five touchdowns, count them five uh, through the air. Mike Evans caught one of them, seven of eight targets for Evans, 122 yards. Scotty Miller also had a touchdown. OJ 
Howard. You know, unfortunately, he's going to miss the rest of the season with an Achilles, but touchdown down to see him on a perfect ball from Brady to enable him before that. And then also had Keyshawn Vaughn, Cam Brait, uh round out the touchdown scoring club. So great stuff from this passing game, particularly Mike Evans, you know, playing through that pain. He was hobbling around out there throughout the, throughout the afternoon, but got the job done. I mean, as long as Chris Goblin remains out, we truly do need to uh, be treating Mike Evans as a top five option at the position. And yeah, you know, uh, Ronald Jones really took over this backfield with Leonard Fournette sideline. Wasn't all good. I mean, he had uh, nine targets going in this game. Brady was number one quarterback in the league and targets for running backs. And I don't think that's going anywhere after this. Rojo only caught six of those nine targets for 17 yards, has some drops thrown in between there. So not the usage you want to see there, but he looked really good as a rusher, you know, converting 20 carries, 211 yards. And, you know, again, looking good doing so, breaking a lot of tackles. Didn't get the, you know, complete workhorse role we were probably hoping for, but, you know, 64% snaps. Keyshawn Vaughn shaving away 25% with Sean McCoy, 7%. Uh, but it was a good situation. I mean, anytime you're getting 20 carries and eight targets, or excuse me, nine targets, uh, we're not going to complain about that. So Rojo, if Fournette remains out, if we can legit project this dude for 20 plus touches, he is going to be an upside RB2 at worst, almost regardless of this matchup. Brady has this offense humming. Uh, expect good, good fancy goodness from pretty much everyone involved. I would note that, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn seemingly taken over that was Sean McCoy role. So to look out for Tampa Bay you know it was a game where they were in comeback mode for a lot of it with uh, Justin Herbert really uh, leading them to a lot of points early so uh, if we do see LaShawn McCoy out of the picture wouldn't be shocked if Keyshawn Vaughn has a little bit bigger role than Shady had and this could get us back into that messy uh, 2019 situation once Fournette is back so uh, you know hopefully we get some word on Fournette and what his situation is we can deal with the two RB backfield if it's just Rojo and Keyshawn that's not great, but it's okay. It's when uh, Fournette gets back and we get back to three backs that things could be problematic. But on the Chargers side of the ball, I mean, Justin Herbert came to play 20 for 25, 290 yards, three touchdowns, one bad pick at the end. But my goodness, I mean, two of these touchdowns in particular, just complete bombs, 172 yards to Jalen Guy and then 53 yards to uh, Tyron Johnson, I believe it was just put on the money down the field uh the one the guy and he was facing some pressure as well i mean just awesome stuff from herbert uh this year he is not afraid to throw deep we've seen some errors we've seen some bad picks over these uh first few starts but we've also seen a hell of a lot in upside and i think this guy is actually flirting with fantasy relevance sooner rather than later that Tampa bay buccaneers defense is no joke and for herbert to go on the road and do the things he did without mike williams even too and with austin eckler getting hurt early on i mean truly impressive i mean again 20 for 25 with only really Keenan Allen out there in terms of proven uh, pass catchers. Okay, Hunter Henry too, uh, but he only had two catches for 39 yards. So the fact Herbert was, again, putting up these numbers with these sort of no-name guys out there against a legit defense uh, says a lot about his uh, potential, particularly in year one as a fantasy performer. So... Keenan Allen continued to eat 12 targets, eight catches, 62 yards. Didn't find the end zone, but big performance out of that. And yeah, I mean, otherwise, you know, Donald Parham, uh, XFL superstar, if you guys were into that, uh, had, a, had a nice 19 yard touchdown, a contested catch, but just really good stuff from the uh, Chargers offense. Uh, unfortunately, though, yeah, I got to talk about this injury. Austin Eckler looking like he's going to be missing out several weeks. Sounds like from Schefter, the early returns, that maybe it's not going to be a season-ending thing, which is good at least. But, you know, had a couple of nice plays to start and then unfortunately was grabbing his hamstring uh, knee area after uh, coming down awkwardly. So now it's looking like the Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson show. Please do not go blowing all your fab on Joshua Kelly, everyone. I mean, look. 
He's fine. He's a good guy to have on your team. He might very well be the lead back here, but this is far from a settled situation. Everyone gets this idea in their head that Joshua Kelly is just playing so well right now, and Justin Jackson has no chance uh, to come back in. I mean, look at the other situations around the league like this where we have a fairly talented incumbent backup and what's been happening to rookies. With the Colts, we've got Jordan Wilkins playing over uh, Jonathan Taylor for stretches. With the Ravens, we got Gus Edwards relegating Dobbins to a bench roll. As good as these rookies can be, if the incumbent backup has the coaching staff's trust it doesn't matter how good we think the rookie is so and get don't get it twisted justin jackson is legit i mean 5.1 career yards per carry that's fine throw out yards per carry it's not a great stat for running backs he was fifth and missed forced tackles per attempt last season barely behind josh jacobs and then if you just look at who averaged more yards yards after contact per attempt only darius guys tony pollard and derrick henry had more yards after contact per attempt than justin jackson Yes, it was a low, you know, rush attempt sample, but, you know, there's a reason why he was trusted to be the guy when Melvin Gordon was, you know, holding out for those first four weeks. He did a good job with it. So right now, Joshua Kelly, 28th among 43 players in yards after contact per rush, 36 in percentage of carries to go for first down or touchdown. He's had fumble issues. I mean, I think he's going to be the lead back because it looked like that uh, today after Eckler got hurt, but... It's going to be a committee, a two-back committee of some sorts, and I don't think it's going to be 70-30 by any stretch of the imagination. I'm thinking 50-50, honestly, maybe 60-40 in favor of Kelly, but if Justin Jackson's playing better, it's going to be him sooner rather than later. So, you know, again, let every, let someone else bid their entire fab on Joshua Kelly. You go get Justin Jackson for cheaper. He could very well be the more valuable asset as early as week five. Uh, PFF Lily style in the matchup. Brady, again, had the rough start, but he, once he got going, it was unbelievable. His final 20 throws of the day. Day. 18 completions, 269 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks, good for a perfect 158.3 passer rating. Quick shout out to our sponsors at Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football, you need to be playing on Underdog Fantasy, my favorite new fantasy football app. Uh, you draft a new team every week and get a shot at big prizes. No lineup setting, waiver wires, or bad trades to deal with. Uh, Customer service, awesome. Team that built the service is awesome. Look up Underdog Fantasy on your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com to play today. Make your first deposit today and be sure to use my code PFF after you do to let them know that I sent you. All right, everyone, we have one, two, three, four, five more games to go over. Appreciate you sticking with me. Um, next up, Seahawks 31, Dolphins 23. Russ continued to cook. It's almost, it's wild at this point. You know, we got so used to this being a run first offense, but I feel like through three, four weeks, it's almost like set in that Russ is cooking. So he had, to me, it was like a quiet 360 yards and two touchdowns. I'm just so used to this guy consistently, you know, hitting these downfield throws. And it truly is ridiculous. Uh, with that said, though, you know, he got some help from his receivers today. David Moore had an awesome game, you know, with some wild yak out there and hurdles. And DK Metcalf, you know, as much crap as this guy gets as, you know, only a straight line dude. And, you know, people say, the only thing I can stop him is a three-cone drill, which, okay, that is a funny joke. I'm not uh, denouncing people saying that, but I mean, they just threw him a, uh, you know, quick screen just at the line of scrimmage. You know, cornerback was too far off. Metcalf turned around, caught the ball, and made a guy miss and went all the way down to the one-yard line and almost scored. So, awesome game from Metcalf again. Tyler Lockett was a ghost for most of the afternoon. Ended up with two catches for 39 yards. Uh, Greg Olson, five catches, 35 yards. Led a touchdown. Uh, hit him in the chest, unfortunately. Russ did throw another pick. So, at least, you know, we got that off of uh, his uh, – we got that off of Greg Olson's chest. That he doesn't have to be consistently mentioned as the only reason why Russell Wilson has a pick anymore. So, again, awesome day from Russell Wilson. Lockett's going to have bigger days. And Metcalf is unguardable. The big story was, you know, my 
guy in week three, Chris Carson, who I was, you know, predicting for a big game, 100 plus yards and two touchdowns specifically. He decided to go ahead and do that this week instead uh, with exactly 100 yards and two touchdowns. I was a week off on this one. You know, pretty much the same reasoning why I was hoping it would happen in week three uh, occurred here. You know, look, it's a pass first offense now. This is fantastic. But pass first offenses sometimes get down the one yard line. And, you know, hey, Russell Wilson, he threw three touchdowns from the one yard line in week three. Uh, This week, Chris Carson instead got two rushing scores. So uh, credit to Chris. Uh, you know, he's got his bell wrong. Last week, it looked like his guy's leg hurt. Uh, he's playing through the pain. He's breaking tackles. Keeps being a beast. So, you know, Chris Carson, even if he's not going to be the, you know, lead back of one of the league's most run-heavy offenses, he's a lead back of one of the most high-scoring offenses, and we will take that eight days a week in fantasy land. On the Dolphins side of the ball, uh, Fitzpatrick put up numbers kind of the way we thought he would. He was a pretty popular uh, kind of lower-owned stack type guy. I know that's a little bit of a, co- a, a, a contradicting statement, but, you know, he was just someone people were kind of pointing to. It's like week three Gardner Minshew. Fitzpatrick was one of the top streamer options available. There we go. Uh, 315 yards. Devontae Parker was the one getting most involved. 10 catches on 12 targets for 110 yards. No one else over 50, and we're starting to see a problem here behind Devontae Parker. I've been hoping Mike Jasicki would kind of emerge as the guy, but he's not not the only slot receiver here. They're using Isaiah Ford just as much. And today Ford had 10 targets. And a lot of that was kind of on the final drive. And he only caught four of those. So it wasn't like they need to keep going back to him. But, you know, second straight game to Seki with just one catch. Preston Williams only have one catch. We got Miles Gaskin getting plenty involved. I mean, the problem for Jasicki is he's like the 1A, 1B slot receiver. And he's the number three or four tight end. I mean, they're getting Durham Smythe had the same amount of targets and double the yards and catches as uh, Jasicki. You know, we saw Adam Shaheen getting a target and the running backs are Matt Breida had three targets. So there's just a lot of guys involved right now. And unfortunately, it's not quite as condensed as we were hoping for. Parker's still the man, but I think to Siki, you know, with all the kind of viable tight end options we see pop up throughout the week, he's probably be a little more on that tight end one borderline, uh, that consistent top six, top eight option that we were hoping for. Uh, you know, quick note with these running backs, Miles Gaston's continues to get the most of the workload, uh, 63% snaps, 10 carries, four targets. But again, this is one of the only situations in the league where a true vulture does exist. And his name is Jordan Howard. Uh, after, you know, another just sterling two carry, two yards, zero touchdown performance, Jordan Howard's 16 game pace, 72 carries, 56 yards, 12 touchdowns. You love to see it unless you are a Miles Gaskin fantasy football manager. Uh, PFF Lily stabbed the matchup. So we know the Seahawks are letting Russ cook. I mean, his uh, uh, pass attempts and dropbacks, all-time highs, and that's great. But he's also literally better than ever. And this is the stuff like in basketball. Like that's always the easiest way I think of, you know, uh, someone having really good efficiency and increasing the volume. If you have a three-point shooter, it's just shooting spot-ups all the time, you know, taking the easy ones and they can shoot 50%. Once you double their attempts and the defense starts keying on them, they're probably not going to keep shooting 50%. Russell Wilson is pretty much, if that, if that, if we're sticking with that, you know, scenario, he's now shooting like 75% because he's averaging career high 8.9 yards per attempt, career high 85% adjusted completion percentage, career high 127.7 QB rating. Russ is throwing more and doing it more efficiently, which is absolutely wild. He still deserves to be the number one MVP candidate after four weeks of action. On to some of the four o'clock games. Rams beat the Giants 17-9. This one was ugly. You know, Rams came in as two touchdown favorites. Looked like the Giants couldn't stop anyone. Well, they did a pretty good job, uh, you know, at least slowing down the Rams. I mean, Goff wasn't awful, but he's just not being asked to do too much right now. Only 32 pass attempts. 
200 yards, one score on it. Uh, you know, Cooper Cup, 55-yard touchdown on a coverage bus and just kind of ran away from everyone, so kudos there. Robert Woods, you know, still had the rush attempt, six catches, 35 yards. Uh, it's a condensed enough at the top that I think Cup and Woods are going to be fine more weeks than not. I mean, they each had seven targets in this game, and they will have to pass a little bit more at some point, but beyond them, it's going to be tough. I mean, Higby, three catches, 21 yards on four targets. Gerald Everett uh, had a fumble, but he was getting involved. He actually scored the offensive lone touchdown on a little uh, jet sweep from the two-yard line on a rush which is wild to see so we are kind of seeing that unfortunately more Everett Higby split up rotation I mean look it was only two weeks ago that Higby scored three touchdowns in a game it's not like he doesn't have uh you know really high-end positive uh potential outcomes but it is a situation where this offense just isn't throwing nearly as much as we've seen in past years because of that anyone beyond Cup and Woods I think we are going to see a little more inconsistent usage than we prefer uh with these running backs this was a spot that probably lost a lot of people a lot of money I was you know ready to almost anoint uh Daryl Henderson as after this week, a potential, you know, high-end RB2 moving forward, not looking like the case, looking like it's going to be more of a week-to-week situation moving forward, even though Henderson, you know, was, uh, you know, back-to-back weeks, really the league guy. Malcolm Brown took the lead in week four, 61% snaps, nine carries, six targets, Henderson, eight carries, one target. I mean, look, Brown, he was a little more efficient in both. I wouldn't say he was, you know, overwhelmingly the clear better player like he was in week one, uh, for example. He did make a really nice one-handed catch early in the game to get a first down on kind of an erratic throw by golf so maybe that just stuck out in McVay's mind he decided to go with Brown after that but Either way, I mean, this is in Henderson's range of outcomes now where Brown just takes over the backfield. And guess what? It's not going to get any better once Cam Akers gets back. So, you know, still flex play. This is a Rams team, three and one. You know, we saw against the Bills, even they may, when they get down, they can go put up some points. So you could do worse than, you know, 10 plus touches uh, as a, you know, close to that floor uh, in this offense. But again, not going to be a situation I think where we can hang our hat on a consistent RB2 moving forward. Uh, with the Giants, uh, you know, I'll keep this short pretty much. The wide receiver room, you know, goal. Tate was getting in his fights with Jalen Ramsey, but other than that, we're not seeing a lot of fight out on the field. I mean, Evan Ingram caught six balls, 35 yards. They were trying to get him more involved early, but other than that, no one got over 50. Easier matchups will be out there. I mean, eventually they're going to play the Cowboys, and that's just, you know, apparently a guaranteed 30 plus points. So maybe we can discuss uh, the Giants offense uh, at that point when they get going. But right now, just, you know, so tough to come by. You know, you're not seeing Jason Garrett use much pre-snap motion, much play action, just not doing much to help his quarterback. Jones took another five sacks in this game. Truly, the only good time that this offense looked was one, when Gallman had a really sick 26-yard run where he broke several tackles. And two, there's a stretch where they got moving in the fourth quarter where the Rams just kind of inexplicably stopped guarding Devontae Freeman for a couple plays, and he racked up uh, 35 receiving yards on four catches. And I, I don't know if they were back-to-back-to-back-to-back, but at least three of them were literally just no linebackers, went out three, four yards downfield, caught the ball, moved forward. So, yes, Devontae Freeman, you know, when you look at these snaps here, 53% snaps, team high 11 carries, all four of the backfield's targets. Like, that's fine, but this offense still looks as awful as ever. Freeman looked like, you know, the second, maybe even third best, you know, rusher in the backfield. Still not a situation I'm, I'm looking to target at all. If anything, I'd say Freeman, you know, is maybe a matchup-dependent flex that with this volume, eventually he might be able to fall into the end zone once this offense has better days. PFF Lily matchup of the uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So Jared Goff mentioned this guy's volume. He has not thrown more than 32 passes in a game this season. So that's our that's our threshold we're using right now. 32. Last year he failed to reach that mark in just 
five of 16 games. In 2018, it was four games. In 2017, it was four games. So we are only one game away from Jared Goff already equaling his, you know, career high under Sean McVay uh, in terms of just games where he hasn't thrown more than 32 passes. So there were games last year where he literally hit over 60 and that, you know, really increased the floor for Woods and Cup. They've been efficient with it this year. Again, it's a good offense. They haven't had to throw the ball much. So if that changes, maybe we'll see the volume uh, kind of even things out. Again, I don't think Cup and Woods are incapable of both providing a you know, wide receiver two value here moving forward, but it might be kind of tough to get that both top 12 uh, that you know, fantasy investors were hoping for. Bills beat the Raiders 30 to 23. Uh, you know, heavy heart to regret and inform everyone here that Josh Allen did finish with under 300 passing yards, uh, first time in 2020 after never doing so uh, previously. He hurt his shoulder for a second and it looked uh, scary, but he was able to come right back in uh, after a drive. I don't even think he missed an actual, or okay, he missed a couple snaps, but anyway, came right back in. Uh, minus one rushing yard on the day, but he scored a rushing touchdown. And this is the Josh Allen experience. I mean, they were mentioning on the broadcast or just, you know, no one has more QB sneaks in the league uh, over these past two years. And look, it's Josh Allen and Jordan Howard are the two vultures in the NFL. And that's pretty much it. Since 2018, here are the guys with at least 20 rushing touchdowns. Todd Gurley, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, Nick Chubb, and Mr. Josh Allen. So uh, awesome stuff there. I mean, anytime you can get a quarterback with this sort of rushing floor and just the scoring upside when they get down in that range, uh, it's pretty much a fantasy Chico, which is what we've seen from Josh Allen this year, even on a day when he doesn't throw for 300 yards. Inexplicably can't get over 300 yards. That's still plenty of fantasy goodness. Uh, shout out Devin Singletary, another awesome game of... Zach Moss wasn't available again because his toe injury uh, saw Singletary play 88% of the offensive snaps with 18 carries and six targets. So once again, dominated usage, scored a goal line touchdown. How about that? They uh, gave him the ball down there. But, you know, he is a smaller and kind of slight guy. But make no mistake about it, this dude's been balling. You know, mentioned before how he is in that top three backs and most broken tackles over these past three weeks. Again, almost every single play you see him getting the ball, he's not going down uh, with the first defender he meets. So awesome stuff from Singletary. Stephon Diggs. Looking fantastic too. Six catches, 115 yards on seven targets. And John Brown uh, should have had a great 14-yard touchdown. They ruled it just short. It's still weird how it happened. It seemed like he broke the pylon, but uh, not quite there. Uh, you know, it wasn't a week where the Bills had to really air it out. You know, Josh Allen relatively mild, 34 pass attempts. They were able to, able to kind of build a multi-score lead, uh, kind of uh, midway through the fourth quarter. We were able to take their foot off the gas, but. You know, but Beasley a little bit banged up. Uh, Gabriel Davis, big play. I mean, there's going to be more than enough production to go around, I think, for Diggs and John Brown more weeks than not, which is not something that we felt too confident about uh, this time last month. Uh, yeah, so on the other side of the ball, you know, Derek Carr, 311 yards, two touchdowns, a little bit of it, you know, coming from a, a late seven-yard um, I'm excuse me, seven point drive there at the end. That was a little bit meaningless. Josh Jacobs just couldn't get going uh, on the ground though. 15 carries, 48 yards. The game script wasn't bad though, everyone. I mean, by that, I mean, Jacobs performance in this negative game script wasn't that bad. I mean, he played 67% of the offensive snaps, 15 carries, four targets. We've been talking about this where last year in the first game of the year, he played 70% snaps, two touchdowns, and they killed him. Next two weeks, he was under 50% in games that the Raiders ended up losing, uh, you know, by a touchdown or more so the fact he was still at 67 percent and had the four targets in this game it's unfortunate that find the end zone but you know he's going to have better games scoring better games efficiency wise he's a great running back the fact that he had these touches had those snap rates he's still on the field 
in a game the Raiders were trailing heavily, uh, you know, in the second half uh, at a point. You know, good to see moving forward for Jacobs when they are going to be in these sort of situations. Uh, against the Chiefs next week, for example, definitely could be a case. Uh, you know, also, last point I'll make here, you know, with all these injuries, Darren Waller had a good game, nine catches, 88 yards on 12 targets, and also Hunter Renfro, five catches, 57 yards. But I was talking, I did a podcast with uh, Alex Baker, number one DFS player in the world. You might know him as Awesome-O, but uh, we made the point on Saturday when we were kind of looking at cheap options once the Keel Harry and Demir Bird got off the slate we ended up on Nelson Aguilar a little bit because the point was again like one of my worst mistakes last year as a you know just fantasy analyst was you know brushing off Rashad Perryman at the end of the year Goblin was out Evans was out and I just said hey it's Rashad Perryman like come on he's not gonna do anything the guy balled out he's improved throughout his career Nelson Aguilar is someone like that where if he was not Nelson Aguilar I think his ownership percentage would have been five ten percent higher going into the spot Gruden keeps saying good things about him he's kind of that perfect underneath type receiver that can you know rack up yak uh, from Derek Carr and the guys look good in Oakland I'm sorry in Las Vegas so far I mean four catches on four targets for 44 yards in his score and the one you didn't see was a 55 yard touchdown that got nullified uh, because of an illegal formation penalty so again if rugs and edwards are going to hang out and just like not be able to play truly wouldn't be surprising to see Aguilar take over this wide receiver room i know zay jones and hunter renfro have more targets but Aguilar's looking good out there and it's ugly i know the you know funny hilarious eagles fan meme with it and you know we'll be firing that gif up the second that Aguilar you know resumes his old ways but again just if you removed everything you know about him previously and just look at the situation, I think you'll see a spot which may be uh, looking at a little more closely. PFF the list stat of the matchup. So Josh Allen this year, I mean, look, again, I think Russ, Russell Wilson is for sure number one MVP, MVP candidate, but the Bills are 4-0. Uh, we got to start putting Josh Allen in that conversation if he's not already. He should be probably number three, I think, behind Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, depending on what happens Monday night. And look, the numbers are there. Josh Allen, 1,339 passing yards, 12 touchdowns, one pick, another 90 rushing yards and three scores on the ground. Russ is at 1,200 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, uh, two picks, 50 yards in the ground. So, you know, 15 touchdowns for 16 touchdowns. They've uh, okay. Russ has been like the most efficient quarterback in the league, but Josh is top five in most of these same categories. So no losses, both, you know, wild efficiency. The MVP talks are deserved 2020, the year Josh Allen. I love it. Everyone uh, Colts beat the bears 19 to 11. Uh, this game is just as ugly as that weird sounding score sounds. Uh, it was a situation where I thought both, both running backs had a chance to kind of put together some big performances and from David Montgomery's perspective, I mean, he had the opportunity to do so, at least if this uh, game script would have been a little bit more in hand first week without, uh, Tariq Cohen in the fold. Uh, you know, Cordero Patterson, he got his touches, but this was not a situation where he really took that Tariq role. This was just a David Montgomery show. Career high, 85% snaps, 10 carries, three targets. And, you know, he turned the three, he, or, or, I'm sorry, he actually had six targets, three catches, excuse me, uh, 30 yards on those. So he did a good job with the receiving work. And as I've been preaching on this podcast, he's been doing a good job all season. And, you know, okay, this matchup didn't go well, but it's Colts defense. Fewest passing yards in the league going in this game. Uh, you know, they got Darius Leonard, they got DeForest Buckner, and they got talent on all three levers, levels of this unit. I think uh, Montgomery's going to have better matchups, better weeks ahead. If he's getting 85% snaps, like he's going to be a top 20 RB on volume alone. Again, like our Nelson Aguilar story, you know, deriving from Rashad Perryman last year, don't give up on a guy just because of, you know, a 10-week sample size. Football is already a small sample size sport. We got to follow volume as much as possible.
With the uh, passing game, Nick Foles, 249 yards through the air and 42 attempts. Didn't look great, everyone. Uh, you know, Allen Robinson made some spectacular catches on the final drive to kind of give himself a, a good day, but just Foles throughout the game didn't look good. Again, I want to give this Colts uh, defense a lot of credit, so I'm not going to, you know, give up on Foles just yet. Looks fantastic in that Falcons game, but, uh, you know, I think it is a reminder that Foles couldn't beat out Trubisky. He's probably not the savior that he was made out to be in the second half of last week. Uh, beyond Allen Robinson, I still think, you know, anyone in this passing game is going to be Tough to expect much consistent production from. Uh, Phillip Rivers, again, did not throw more than 30 pass attempts, completed 16 29 for 109 yards and a score. Uh, Mo Alley Cox with a touchdown. Only two targets, though, for, uh, for Maction, as we like to call him here. Uh, did catch that 13 yard score. So I think as long as Jack Doyle and now Trey Burton are also in the fold, it's going to be tough to expect much from Mo Alley Cox, even though he does have that nose for the end zone. And even T.Y. Hilton is getting tough at this point. Only five targets. Zach Pascal actually had eight targets. You know, Hilton's their number one. At some point, he's going to break out. But, I mean, season long, it's going to be tough to treat him as more of a wide receiver than more of a wide receiver three moving forward. Quickly on this Colts backfield. So, there's a couple ways we can kind of look at this. So, one, on the one hand, Jonathan Taylor had 17 carries, 68 yards. Uh, you know, we didn't see him get super involved as a receiver. Only one catch for 11 yards. But 18 opportunities in a game that, you know, the Colts were pretty much, again, just in too positive a game script to do much. Not awful. But we're seeing Jordan Wilkins a little more involved than we would like. And this was not all garbage time snaps. Uh, you know, he was out there 18% snaps. Naeem Hines, 35%. Taylor, 44%. They're not going to give Taylor 30, the ball 30 times a game and, you know, 80%, 90% snaps like the Cowboys might with Zeke. That's probably smart by the coaching staff. And it makes sense for the real-life goal of winning football. It's just a little bit annoying in fantasy for right now. You know, I think things will increase when they do get in this game that they're not up multiple scores in the fourth quarter. At some point, that's going to happen uh, for the Colts. Hasn't been that way over the last three weeks. And unfortunately, this is looking like a three-back uh, backfield, not just two. So, you know, I'm still going to be treating as Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor as a R fancy RB1. That top five, top six, I think that we were hoping for, though, might still be a little bit off. Uh, PFF Lilly matchup stat. So Nick Foles' uh, target distribution over these past six quarters of action. Allen Robinson at 16. Darnell Mooney at 13, Jimmy Graham at 12, Dave Montgomery at 10, Anthony Miller at 11. Look, I've been hoping that it was going to be Anthony Miller as number two receiver dating back to, you know, last year, two years ago. I think the guy's great. He still usually made the most of his chances uh, this year. But at this point, I mean, Darnell Mooney is the Bears' number two wide receiver. And, you know, depending how you feel about Jimmy Graham, which I, I still think he's very much washed, Darnell Mooney's the number two pass game option in this Bears' offense right now with Tariq Cohen gone. So, Again, it's Foles. Anything behind Robinson, it's Foles and Trubisky under there. Anything behind Robinson is not going to be guaranteed. But Mooney is the number two guy. You could do worse than doing a dart throw on him in DFS. You know, if you really stretch out the position, uh, you know, he is someone that could flirt with, uh, you know, seven plus targets per week, as we have seen. So, uh, final game to get to. Thank you all for sticking with me here. Pretty fun Sunday night game. Uh, I think we were expecting a little bit of a worse matchup, but Eagles beat the 49ers 25-220. Uh, credit to Carson Wentz for getting the W. But, man, you know, uh, Dwayne McFarland, who works at PFF, I've had him on the podcast a lot for the game-by-game -game breakdowns. He brought this up before this game where – 
Carson Wentz is playing like he's going to get hurt soon. And we saw that out there, just play after play after play. I mean, you know, credit to him for doing everything in his power to get the win. I love the play where it was a Jalen Hurts Wildcat, and they showed Wentz, you know, really putting his head into the corner, trying to block him and, uh, you know, get physical out there. So I love it. It's a cool football guy move and everything. But, man, you know, as someone that's already not had the best uh, injury history, you don't like seeing that from Wentz. And the one thing that if Wentz gets hurt, Jalen Hurts is going to be on the QB1 radar immediately because of how much rushing usage he's going to have. So, you know, I, I understand having a backup quarterback in fantasy, a uh, pretty ridiculous notion for some of these, you know, bench sizes. But if you are in a big league that's, you know, not a dynasty and Hurts is sitting there and you have the room, uh, I would consider doing it because if Wentz goes down, Hurts is going to, you know, double Wentz's fantasy value just because he's probably going to be looking at, you know, 10 plus rush attempts per game. But yeah, you know, it's kind of disappointing effort from Miles Sanders because still dominating snaps and everything, but 13 carries, 46 yards, only four targets, two catches for 30 yards. They're just throwing some no-name guys. I mean, you know, who the hell is Travis Fulgham? Oh, he's the guy that caught the 42-yard touchdown game-winning uh, score, or at least the uh, go-ahead score on Sunday night. So, uh, you know, Travis Fulgham, AAF superstar Greg Ward, uh, Aaron Rodgers, old friend Richard Rodgers is out there catching uh, three catches, or three catches, 35 yards. So, you know, everyone's getting the job done this banged up. Phillies uh, receiving room except Zach Ertz four catches five targets nine yards zero scores uh, not what you want to see from someone that's you know been vocal about wanting a new contract uh, you know shout out to at Zach Ertz Yak on Twitter. Anytime Zach Ertz gets a reception, uh, they break down whether or not he breaks a tackle. Spoiler, it is usually no. So that's kind of the Eagles offense. Uh, looking at the other side of the ball, uh, Kyle Shanahan pretty much rage benched Nick Mullins in the fourth quarter, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, Mullins really wasn't playing all that bad. You know, he had a red zone pick in the first half and then just, again, a brutal pick six that literally just caused uh, Shanahan to pull him. So uh, I don't think, uh, you know, as well as CJ uh, Bethard did play the lead them back down um, if Jimmy G remains out. I don't know if it's a given that Mullins, uh, you know, wouldn't be the guy. I do think, you know, some of the truthers that have been emerging out there probably need to take a step back, but I wouldn't say that, you know, this one performance was a reason to completely write off Mullins the uh, rest of his career. And he talks about a quarterback controversy was already ridiculous as it is, but, uh, you know, maybe there could be one between Mullins and Bethard now because for Bethard to go down the field, uh, you know, really bring them back and at least have a Hail Mary chance to win it at the end, uh, said a lot. So it really just, uh, you know, whoever was under center, they were throwing the ball to George Kittle. First game back, 15 targets, 15 catches, 183 yards in a score. Also chipped in an eight-yard rush. Looked as good as ever the entire time. I mean, truly, uh, you know, a specimen out there. He leads PFF, you know, over these past 10 years in yards after catch per reception. Have not seen a talent like him at the, at the tight end position. Maybe ever. Like, I don't want to say he's the best tie on ever or anything like that. Calm down. I'm just saying in terms of, you know, high-end yak with this sort of volume, I think Kittle just separates himself from some of the other tight ends we, we, we've we seen. And he's not a move guy, obviously. He's not, you know, someone that's lining up as a receiver. Very much an inline guy, putting his nose in there in the blocking game. Truly one of the best, you know, most valuable non-QBs in the entire league. Uh, quick shout out, Brandon Ayuk, a.k.a. Ayuk. Oh, my goodness. He got a, you know, probably should have been a pass. It was kind of interesting. They, they ruled it a rush. It was like a little swing pass that they said went backwards. But 38 yards to the house, uh, topped it off with an awesome hurdle, stayed in bounds and scored. Also, uh, Debo Samuel got on the board with a, didn't find the end zone, but 10-yard rush. Three catches, 35 yards coming back. We'll see him get, you know, even more involved in future weeks. It's looking like a situation where, you know, it might be a little inconsistent behind Kittle. 
Kittle's number one, you know, tight end one or two, depending on the week, probably usually two behind Kelsey. But, you know, Samuel and uh, and Ayuk, if they're in a situation where they got to throw the ball a little bit, and they did this week, you know, 45 pass times as a team, we could see both of these guys uh, emerge as, you know, fancy viable almost upside wide receiver threes, if not even a little higher. So good stuff there. Uh, good stuff from Jarek McKinnon, 14 carries, 54 yards, and a score also chipped in seven catches, 43 yards. Jeff Wilson did not play a single snap in the first half. In the second half, uh, he was very little use as well, only three catches, four or six yards. McKinnon is their full-time, uh, you know, pass down back. Really good stuff out of him. As long as Moster and Coleman remain sidelined, we can honestly move McKinnon up almost in that top 16 range at this point with this sort of usage. They're really leaning on him as the bell come back, uh, bell cow back. He continues to look good. Great comeback story for Jarek McKinnon. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat of the night. Yeah, George Kittle, 15 out of 15 targets. Like I said, 183 yards in the score. He's played eight quarters of football this year. In the second half of week one, he wasn't even used as a receiver. So truly, almost just six quarters as a, you know, a receiving option. Seventh among all tight ends this year in receiving yards. Guy missed two games, has not missed a beat at the position. He is still coming for another top two finish in fantasy. Do not get it twisted. One quick word from our sponsor before we get out of here. Uh, well, shout out Monkey Knife Fight. If you want the PFF Edge subscription at less than $40, just go to Monkey Knife Fight, everyone. That's all you need to do. Go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit $20. You will get a free PFF Edge annual subscription, $40 value for that $20. And guess what? You can use the $20, try and make more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, promo code PFF today, and then receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. So that's going to do it. Thank you all for listening. As always, it's been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast and your host, Ian Harditz, back every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with more. So hope you all enjoyed the games. Until next time, take care. (laughs) 